The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. Now the chief priests and the elders decided to put Jesus to death, and so they bound him and took him to Pontius Pilate. And then we switch over to Judas, who's feeling remorse for betraying Jesus, and he returns the 30 pieces of silver, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. The 30 pieces of silver, by the way, if, uh, if you check out Zechariah 11, 13, um, it, it it's, talks about the uh, the the price, uh, I forget, I can't quote it, but the Lord says uh, the price at which I was valued by them. So even this aspect was prophesied, um, you know, long before Jesus' life. But the chief priests don't want the blood money back. They say, what is that to us? That's your business. So he threw the silver back into the temple sanctuary and left and went and hanged himself. And then the chief priests are trying to figure out what to do with the silver because it's blood money, so they don't want to put it back in the temple to, uh, treasury. And so they conferred and they bought Potter's Field. So the Potter's Field was called Field of Blood to that day. And, uh, and then Matthew connects it with Jeremiah the prophet. He says that this prophecy was fulfilled, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Um, so, this is, like I mentioned Zechariah, it's it's more directly from Zechariah, but Jeremiah also um, bought a field, and that story is is interesting and connected. I've heard people say that because the order of the Bible used to be different and Jeremiah started the a certain section of prophets and he was the first one so you could basically say Jeremiah said something since he was the first of all those prophets and since one of them said it it applied to Jeremiah so maybe that was the case but or maybe he's just connecting the fact that um, the Lord ordered Jeremiah which was the next book we're going to read um, the Lord ordered Jeremiah to buy a field and in in Judah, I assume in Judah, Judah, Israel, I think Judah, um, it, which was maybe shocking because Jeremiah was going around prophesying the coming destruction of Judah, and the fact that the Babylonians were going to destroy them and take them away and there would be nothing left. You certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want to buy some land when something like that was about to happen. But God said this was a sign of... Um, his redemption that he was going to bring his people he's going to bring a remnant people back into his land and he was going to do something new and create a holier people through this difficulty that they're going to go through so in that way it's a perfect symbol of what jesus was going to do that that jesus uh was going to go through this horrible difficulties uh but then he was going to be redeemed and he was going to be placed on a, a heavenly throne and offer the chance for all of us to follow after him and so the, the both zachar zachariah is more specifically if you read that it's more specifically uh fulfilled but jeremiah is very much fulfilled too and so now we're back to Jesus and Pontius Pilate interviewing him. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is as you say. And the chief priests and elders are accusing him of all sorts of things, and he doesn't answer. And Pilate says to them, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he doesn't answer. He's not trying to defend himself. He's putting his hands in the Lord. He knows what he has to go through, and he's just there. 
So the governor was amazed at this because every other person that would stand before him would be begging for clemency. And Jesus isn't doing that. So Pilate is becoming very aware there's something very different about this man. So Pilate wants to release him. He does not want to kill a man who, like this. We, we know from other Gospels his wife had had a dream and said, this is a holy man, don't hurt him. Um, he, he just she doesn't want to kill Jesus. Um, and they have a tradition because of the festival coming up, the feast of letting one, a prisoner go. So he thinks he's got a perfect opportunity. And they've also, they're also holding, uh, Barabbas. And so he calls out to the people, who do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ or Messiah. For he knew that because of envy, they had handed him over. And so he's thinking, okay, the chief priests are against him, but the people will be for him. Because he knew he had a following. He wouldn't be unaware that this guy had just come into town a few days earlier, and people were cheering him. And I mean, he's going to be aware of this, right? So he's assuming all the people are going to want to set Jesus free. Oh, and then 19, here's where the message from his wife arrives. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders work up the crowd to get Barabbas set free. And the governor says, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they all yelled out, Barabbas. And so Pilate says to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, crucify him. And he says, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. So Pilate sees he's getting nowhere, and they're getting riled up. The riot could be starting. So he washes his hands of the matter. He says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, his blood shall be on us and in our children. So they actually cursed themselves, and they did it in a very real way. Because we assume... Possibly all, maybe just most, because we know a lot of people are going to come to Christ in, in you know, in less than two months' time, um, and, and so I would assume probably some of these people, we don't know that, um, but they're putting his blood on them and their children, and of course, you know, most of the Jews to this day still do not know their Messiah, and so they're, they're cursing themselves. Now, of course, the scripture also talks about the fact that they will all come, and that'll be a glorious day for all the church, Romans 9 through 11, uh, when they do come to realize who their Messiah is that they have pierced. And then Barabbas is a really cool picture. Um, then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. So Barabbas is a man who deserves death because he was a killer. And Jesus is a perfect, you know, sinless person who does not deserve death. But Jesus went to be scourged, I don't know how to say that word, scourged, scourged, and taken to the cross. Uh, meanwhile, the guilty man went free. So Barabbas is a picture of us that we are guilty, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, we get to go free, like Barabbas. And then the guards start mocking him. They they put on a, um, a, a crown of thorns, for since he's a king. They put the scarlet robe on him, so like kind of a king's robe. And they start saying, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then they spit on him. And they took the reed and began to beat him on the head, and they mocked him. And they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were going about, they run into uh, a man from Cyrene named Simon, 
who uh, who you know he's having trouble because they they beat him severely and um and so he's just having trouble carrying his cross because uh, I think it was it was commonplace to to make the uh, the person condemned to death carry your cross the cross piece not the whole cross but just the cross piece um, uh, uh, to to the place where you're going to be crucified but they had beaten him so badly that he was having difficulty carrying it and so Simon comes in to help carry the cross which again is is a picture of us that we are called into this life with Jesus. Sorry, I don't have hardly any scripture memorized, pretty much none. Um, but Paul says something like um, that to complete the work that Jesus didn't do, or something like that. And and that that's that picture. And again, that's to the religious Christian minds. Like, what are you talking about? Jesus did everything. Well, no, we're Jesus made a way for us to follow into His life, to so that God has many sons, and so. Um, we cannot do anything without Jesus, but the whole point of Jesus is to fill us up with his life so that he does much through us so that we're in complete unity and he's has a many member body in the earth. And so Simon is a picture of us in this as well. So we have Barabbas representing our former life and Simon representing our, our new life in Jesus. And of course, you know, Simon doesn't get crucified here. And there's a really cool picture about Simon. Uh, Paul Keith Davis had a really cool, I don't know, vision or dream or something he's talked about before about this. Um, and I don't remember all of it. But um, he, God basically said that because um, because he helped my... That, uh, God told Paul Keith Davis that because Simon helped G- Jesus, God's son that he helped, that he blessed, because Simon blessed his son, that God blessed Simon's sons. And and Paul Keith was like, well, there's got to be some evidence of that. Can you show me? And in one of Paul's epistles, like at the beginning or the end, it mentions the, the blessed sons of Simon. So it's a small throwaway line you wouldn't normally get, but you can see this picture that his sons grew up to be... Um, men who are highly blessed uh, in the Lord uh, later on. So I'm, I'll probably remember that when we get to it, when we find it, and I'll mention it again there. So they came to Golgotha, which means place of a skull, and they gave him wine mixed to drink with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. I believe that's a, a prophecy. Um, it's cool. The, the real traditional site um, is unlikely in my mind to to be the the site of the crucifixion but the anglican church has a garden tomb and that one could be the site there's the the cliff wall um kind of looks a little bit like a skull and uh there's there is a a tomb there and it and you can see an old wine press which would make it like a garden near the it it, it, it it's all very plausible and uh that, that's a cool tour if you're ever in uh israel the very traditional site, which has like three Christian sects all kind of fighting for it and not letting each other go into their part of the old church. And they can't even trust each other enough to hold the key. So they have a Muslim family who holds the key for them and climbs up a rope into an upper room to come in and unlock the door for them every day. It's a beautiful picture of the church. huh? 
um, that that's built on a site that was picked like I, I think it was I think Constantine's mother went and picked out a lot of these sites and it was like 300 years later so you know it's it's possible she found the right site there's reasons to believe that's not it based on the scripture but I've also seen their argument that you know who knows but um, you know 300 years that's a long for us we're like 300 years that's pretty close you know we're 1700 years after I think her name was Helen but um, if you think back 300 years in American history, what would that be? So that was way before, a lifetime before America became a country. Um, if you went and found something, would people know where the exact spot? Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. So then his guards, uh, as they crucify him, they divide up his garments among themselves and they're casting lots for it. They don't want to tear it because then it's not worth as much. So they cast lots, which is like throwing dice uh, to determine who's going to get to keep their stuff. Again, this is a, this is a scripture, this is a prophecy from scripture that's being fulfilled. And they put a sign up over him saying, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then there's two robbers, uh, crucified next to him, one on each side of him. And people are hurling abuse at them as they walk by. And they say, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. So they're remembering his prophecy, and he is going to do that, but it hasn't been three days yet. He's just been put on the cross. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. Of course, he's going to do that too. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Well, of course he did do that, but they really, they didn't have hearts to believe. So even when he did reappear, the most, well, chief priests is kind of a vague statement. Let's see, what does it say? Chief priests? Chief priests, also scribes and elders. Well, some Pharisees did come to the Lord, so this might be some of them. But in general, mostly the leadership did never came to him because they liked their power. They liked their religion. Then we see from the sixth hour, which is noon, to the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., darkness fell on the land. So I am at, some people think that's an eclipse, but he doesn't say eclipse. I imagine it's, it's massive, like dark clouds uh, descend uh, for a time. Um, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama. So, <laughs> anyways, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, actually, we just talked about this the other night, but he hasn't, um, you know, all his friends abandoned him. He, he had to suffer in every way we can possibly suffer. And all his friends abandoned him. And he, he was hurt by that. He's like, what, you can't stay awake for one hour while I suffer here? Um, so he was hurt by that, but he wasn't crying out here when God had to let him know what, what his absence was like. Because the one thing he had when the whole world was against him was he had God with him. He was with God. God was in him. He was completely unified with God. And all of a sudden, God withdraws from him. And so he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is, again, it's the Psalm of David that he's quoting, but he's feeling this. And he's just, he's very different than um, most people on the cross, and on a cross, because being on a cross was very common in Roman times. And so people are saying, this man is calling for Elijah. And one of them ran to get in a sponge for him to drink, put some sour wine on it. And the rest said, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. So they're just kind of having a good old time watching him suffer on the cross. 
But the rest, let's see. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Um, so, so we have a lot of things happen. There's a massive earthquake. There's, um, we'd already seen the sign in the sky. We have the veil of the temple gets torn in two. So the veil separated the Holy of Holies. Remember, the Holy of Holies, no one's allowed to go in there 364 days a year. But one day of year, only the high priest can go in there. And so it's very separated. That's where the presence of God is supposed to be. It was at one time. I don't know about the latter temple, but the former temple, the presence of God was there. And... Um, and so, the, the, but the high priest could only go in there one day a year, and the rest of the people could never go in there. And so here the veil is torn to represent the ability for anyone who follows Jesus into this crucified life can come into this Holy of Holies. And people are literally com coming from death to life, like dead people are raised from the grave. The, many saints are coming and walking around town, which again represents us coming from death to life through Jesus. And so the people keeping guard over him, they see all, they didn't see all of it, but they, they saw the earthquake for sure. And they say, truly this was the son of God. And all the men, except for uh, John, had, were, had taken off scared. Um, but the women are there. Uh, we see uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, uh, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, uh, John and James. Uh, the, these women are there, and John, it doesn't say, but John is there as well. And so Joseph of Arimathea, um, he had been a disciple of Jesus. So he was either a Pharisee or a, or a uh, Sadducee, because Mark says he was a member, respected member of the council. He had not agreed to this crucifixion. Uh, Matthew just calls him a rich man, and uh, he had been a disciple of Jesus secretly because he didn't want to be thrown out of his position but he had been following Jesus secretly. And so he wants to honor Jesus in his death. So he goes to Pilate and gets permission to get his body and goes and takes him to put him in his own, uh, in his own tomb, which was nearby, hone out of the rock. That's why it could be the garden tomb because it's pretty close to this, this skull looking place and, uh, could very well be the place. And, um, and he, he gives him, you know, clean linen cloth, and uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are both there, sitting near the grave. And so again, this, uh, this is an answer to scripture of him being buried, I think it's Isaiah, but being buried in a, uh, a rich man's grave, or being buried with rich men, however it's put. Um, this is, uh, again, a fulfillment of the prophets. And so the Pharisees then come to Pilate and say, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. So they, they kind of know what's going to happen here. And Pilate says, You have a guard. Meaning, here, I'll give you a guard. Go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And so the Ro Roman guards, well, I'll get to that next chapter. And then we're on to 28. 
So now, after the Sabbath, they didn't move around on the Sabbath. So after the Sabbath, uh, Sunday, the first day of the week, uh, it's the first day that they could go. Um, and, you know, there she's, she's getting there even before the dawn. Um, and uh, Mary, the two Marys are coming to the grave, and they're finding that a severe earthquake had happened, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled away the stone, and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him, and became like dead men. So, the guard, Roman guards, like, they could, they would be killed if they left their post. It's just something they did not do. Um, but yet, somehow, Jesus disappeared from the tomb by the time the Mary showed up. And so Matthew tells us they, because of this earthquake and, the, and this angel, they basically all passed out. They, they were afraid and then they, they saw this, they saw the angel, they were afraid and then they, um, they were like dead men. I assume that means they like passed out. They're just, you know, incapacitated. And, um, and so the, again, this is something Roman soldiers did not do. Um, they would, they would, it was a brutal world back then. They would be killed for this. So, um, but obviously the angel of the Lord can do anything that the Lord says he should do. And so this is what happened. So the women get there and they say, do not, uh, the angel says to them, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. Uh, he is not here for he has risen. So he had already risen sometime during that night. We know uh, you know, I've talked about it other places, but Jesus rose sometime that uh, Saturday night. Probably, if if you want to make Jesus' words precisely right, then he, then he rose uh, early in the uh, nighttime of what we would call Saturday night, but according to the Bible, it's Sunday morning. It's when it's dark, the sun's down on Saturday night. Sun, you know, again, we would call it Saturday night. Well, as soon as the sun goes down, that's the beginning of Sunday. Uh, according to God, according to the Bible. And so that's when he would have risen in order for Jesus' three days and three nights to be correct. Um, would have died on a Wednesday, right before sundown. Would have had Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. That's three nights. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's three days. That makes Jesus correct. Then he's risen on a Sunday, because this Matthew, right at the beginning of this chapter, said it was a Sunday. And so Jesus died on a Wednesday towards the end of daylight on a Wednesday, not on a Friday, on a Wednesday. You can actually figure out exactly what day that is. I think it's the year 30. Um, I want to say April. I can't remember the date. But, um, but certainly Passover. I mean, that's the more important date to to God, but, uh, well, cause our calendar moves around. So kind of worrying about what day in April it was, is kind of silly cause it, Passover changes. Uh, it's a different, it might be March, might be April, but if you want to celebrate Jesus's, uh, death and resurrection, there's actually biblical feasts that Jesus fulfilled. And what we, you know, we talk about that in, in when I went through those parts of the Torah, um, and, and Jesus fulfilled these things, these, these, uh, calendar events that God set up long before Jesus fulfilled them. Uh, the pass, he was the Passover lamb. He died on the Passover. He was the first fruit. He rose on the feast of first fruits. God set up these holidays for a reason. He gave them to Moses for a reason. Jesus fulfilled them. And so that particular year, uh, Passover fell on a Wednesday 
it changes for our calendar and and feast of first fruits is always on a sunday and so uh that particular year there were three days and three nights in between those things and so that's how jesus is uh you know jesus fulfilled these things and it all worked out like that so again the angel says to the marys uh he's not here he has risen just as he said he's he's basically saying weren't you people listening to him he he said all this before he did it why are you shocked come see the place where he was lying it must be, you know, strange for an angel because they, they kind of see everything. They remember everything. They're not as confused as we are. <laughs> They're like, weren't you paying attention? He was telling you all this stuff that was going to happen, and it's happened. Why? What's surprising? He is the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of Judah, and he told you what was going to happen, and then it happened. What's shocking about all this? So they say, go quickly, tell his disciples he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. The timeline on these things is pretty different in the different Gospels, so I'll probably, when I go through the other Gospels, take a little more time on these sections, because you've got to kind of read them all to flesh out all the things that happened. So the Marys are filled with fear and great joy to run and report it to the disciples. And uh, just to point out... Um, Back in those days, well, and we're going to see that here in a minute, I think, um, or maybe not, I don't know if this gospel covers it, but the men aren't really going to believe the women. Back then, the, um, uh, the word of a woman was not very valuable, like it couldn't be used in court. It was, And so the fact that, for one, Jesus was so intimate with these women, had close relationship was revolutionary for the time. The fact that the um, the writers of the gospel that wrote it down, you can tell that they were sticking to what truly happened and they were not trying to make up a story because they, they included details like this. Look, the first people to notice who was gone were women. That is not a detail you would write down if you were trying to impress people with the veracity of your story in those times, because that would not be a compelling factoid to a, a modern reader from ancient times. They would have said, well, how can you even believe that? You know, it, it just, there's a lot of things in the scripture that went way against the times that they were in. Um, and that shows the, the writers, they weren't trying to impress anybody. They were writing down what really happened. And so Matthew leaves out uh, John and Peter coming to the tomb, and all of a sudden Jesus is is greeting the disciples, and uh, he he kind of has a fast forward version, and he came up, took hold of his feet. They're worshiping him. I mean, how shocking! Because um, they they were scared, right? It's not like they remember. Oh yes, Jesus said all these things are happening, and they're just waiting for his return. They ran away like scared little children, <laughs> and then all of a sudden he's back. And man, what amazement it must have been. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. And the guards come and they tell the chief priests what had happened. They're scared. Like, this is, they're going to get killed, right? From their perspective, they were guarding a tomb, and now the body is gone. And their superiors are not going to believe that a mighty angel showed up, and there was an earthquake, and they were incapacitated by this angel, and they could not protect it. Their boss is going to say, you know, Pilate's going to say, you, you, that's the worst story I've ever heard. You're now executed. So they go to the chief priests instead and say, 
uh, hey, this is what happened, and you know we're going to be killed for this. And so the chief priests consult together, the elders, and they give a large sum of money to the soldiers, and they say, here's the story you're going to tell people. You're to say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ear, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. So he's saying, we will we'll help you out so the governor won't kill you. And here's some money. Now here's the story that you're going to tell everybody. And so they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. So we don't, you know, that's not modern, this story. But apparently for for decades after, the story that the... the um, uh, the the guards had told that they'd been instructed to tell had, you know, people repeated that story. So whenever somebody would say, well, Jesus is risen, you know, he we saw him. And, and we had over 500 people that did see him after he was risen, uh, according to Paul. Um, but that's not everybody. That's just 500 people. And so they would say, well, we saw him. And other people would say, no, I don't believe you. Uh, I, you know, the guards said, this is what happened. And so, according to, you know, I mean, they went to Galilee, and so, again, th- these versions are all slightly different, so you've got to piece together what really happened, but I'm not going to worry about th- too much. According to Matthew, they all went to Galilee, and and it gives the impression that this is where Jesus gave the Great Commission. He came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So I'm going to break this down a little bit. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So remember, Adam and Eve had been given all authority over earth. And with the plan that they would grow into all authority over heaven. I mean, in the eternal, they had it. But, uh, well, I probably shouldn't say that because God knows the end from the beginning and they he knew they were going to fall away. Um, but in, in the earth, they had it and they were meant to grow up in the likeness of God and inherit authority over all the heavens. Uh, but they didn't they ate from the fruit of the tree that they were not supposed to eat and so they gave their authority to satan who became ruler of the air right so satan is now has the authority over the earth and basically he didn't have total control of the second heavens we we see that the angels oh make it through the second heaven but we see in daniel uh, they had a lot of authority in the second heavens because uh, the the angel appearing to Daniel would have took him like three weeks to get there because he had to battle through the second heavens to get there. So they, they took up quite a bit of position and authority in the second heavens. And, uh, and then, you know, he's the ruler of this world. And so Jesus was crucified and rose again. And because he lived the perfect life that Adam did not live, he gained back this authority, this position that Adam had once been given and mankind is supposed to have. And he's placed on the throne and he now has all authority in heaven and on earth. And God says, since you live the perfect life that Adam did not live, you not only have authority in earth, but in all the heavens. And so he's in complete unity with the Father. And the, it's the Father's good pleasure 
that mankind be his family with all authority to inherit everything that is his so that he's just not one god that everyone uh you know worships yeah we are to worship him that's the only way we have fulfillment but that through the a life of faith and that worship and we become unified with him we become discipled up to be like him and we become the fulfillment of his glory in the earth and in all time and space so that he has a family ruling the world and so jesus says i now have that authority we haven't had this for thousands of years i now have it he says now to you go therefore and make disciples of all the nations did he say go and get a lot of notches on your belt and uh and get salvations no he said make disciples raise people up in this way baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit so it's not just salvation it's uh both in the father in the son and the holy spirit baptize them teach them to observe all that i commanded you so he's he's again not just saying salvation and you're good to go he's saying teach them this way of life that i have been teaching you my 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 commands are to follow this way it's a way of life it's a spiritual reality that i'm introducing and they don't even really understand it yet he's been teaching them about it for three and a half years but the holy spirit is going to be teaching under, helping them understand for years to come what it is that he meant but he has been teaching them and he's saying i've been teaching you about this new way of life this new kingdom reality and so Go and teach others this way. And lo, I, and this may seem overwhelming to you, but I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I'm going to be with you, helping you do these things. This is my true purpose, not just to die on the cross, but to be in you and to be in many of you, bringing about the fulfillment of God's purposes in the world. And that's what we are going to do. Praise the Lord. I think in Hebrew that's hallelujah. Uh... Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. And that's it for Matthew. Uh, t- tomorrow we should get started with Jeremiah, and um, and I'll talk to you then. God bless you.